YouTubes. I mean, welcome to another episode of Work Stoppage. I am your host, John. And I'm Lena. And we are back at it again uh, for the sophomore episode of our show. Um, we were planning on doing this show just to talk about normal, like, everyday labor relations as they existed under the system we were living under when we planned the show out. And now it looks like that system is on pretty fucking thin ice. Uh, thanks to yeah, all. Thankfully. Of, yeah, yeah. Thankfully. So uh, we're going to get to talking about where we see labor relations fitting in with what's going on right now. And especially the role that cop unions play in those things and why they're bad. But first, I think we wanted to get started with yeah. a little bit of an update on what we talked about last time. Right. So we're just going to follow up with the Allen Brothers uh, workers. Um, we, you know, it, it's, I'm going to say it's actually kind of bad news, unfortunately. Yeah. Because um, their demands were met partially, but only by the governor. So the, so the company didn't actually give in at all. Um, then the workers did come back to work with um, out retaliation. There was like an agreement where they weren't going to be retaliated against. And who knows if that's true or not. Yeah, or how well it's followed, even if it is actually instated on the books. Right. But they did get their um, PPE and their physical distancing barriers and um, a couple other things that were mandated by the, the governor. The thing that we would really want to point out here is that we did have uh, one death at the Allen Brothers fruit packing plant from COVID. Yep. Um, we have David Cruz, who had been working there for 12 years and was actually one of the strikers out on the line. Um, they did not get raises. They're actually still kind of air quotes like in negotiations, but I mean, it, there's not really a lot of indication that there's of the, any ability to negotiate without the strike ongoing. Right. Um, so I, I couldn't, I don't think that we could find anything to actually confirm that they were really negotiating for their hazard pay. Oh yeah. It, it doesn't seem like there's been any kind of resolution regarding pay whatsoever or that Allen brothers is even remotely entertaining the idea. I mean, they held out on this strike for six weeks and never gave in to any demands in a meaningful way to the point where the state governor had to intervene and give them PPE and, and literally uh, back like legislation or it was a, a executive order or something like that. I think he backed legislation that um, forced this company to give them PPE and, and basic social distancing standards. Like that if, if they can't get the employees six feet apart, they put physical dividers between them. But something I saw is that uh, people have been critical of this because it doesn't prohibit the use of bunk beds in worker housing. So when they all go to sleep, they're all going to be sleeping within a few feet of each other anyway. Right. And I, and I think that that is one of the things that might have, I mean, I don't know what David's situation was, but either way, I mean, he was a worker on, on that line. He was a striker and he uh, died of COVID and that is a death on capital's hands. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I think that this is 
more common than you'd think that when you see, oh, there's a lot of people out there standing strong and fighting for their rights and the the company can just outlast them. I mean, they didn't have the entire plant shut down. Unfortunately, they had a limited amount of strikers that could afford to be out on the line. Right. And unfortunately, because of that, they kind of lost and that this is a classic story of of capital just having control over people's lives and and then making them disposable this 12-year veteran of the of the plant yeah and these dead these agricultural companies out in like you know more rural areas they control a disproportionate amount of the local economy and especially if you're like a migrant worker or an undocumented worker Sometimes it's your only option to work for them, and they know that, and they will wield that against you at every turn, which is like part of the reason that I think it's important to bring attention to all of these different labor struggles, even if they seem kind of small, uh, because getting different struggles for labor rights in solidarity with one another and offering each other avenues to communicate and cooperate and offer each other material aid is going to be what prevents situations like this from ending without any meaningful resolution. And in fact, you know, one of the workers dying from, from COVID, which could have been prevented. Yeah. I, I honestly, it reminds me of, um, like just the, when they were threatened and how, um, basically even the communities are against them. If you are out there fighting for your rights, we are seeing a slightly different story with um, the ongoing protests and insurrectionary actions. But right, um, but those are enormous, but, right? It takes yeah. it takes having people. I won't even say organized because in a lot of cases, it's obvious that you know people in different cities are or just organizing their city. There's no overarching like vanguard party or one big union or anything that's like organizing these protests, but they have the size and, and the intensity and, and the duration to wear out police forces and, and wear out the communities who would otherwise oppose them, uh, and actually ensure some, some meaningful gains for, for the people that they represent and that they support. I think that that's actually a really great point about the the protests that are going on is the the mass line the the ability to wear out the people that you are fighting against the police the military I mean like that really is going to be the most powerful way to do a strike and I'm not saying that like uh, the these protests or insurrectionary movements are a strike. I'm saying that they do have that similarity in that regard. Right. And they definitely, if, if labor is poised to act in the right way, like they can dovetail with a strike quite easily. Like the conditions I think are favorable for that. If there's the organization there to support it, you know, if there's the, the, backbone of enough people not just being in this to go to one protest but being in this to like get radicalized and start figuring out what the the networks that are available to them for offering up mutual aid whether that comes as you know joining a labor union or just like if you have money you can donate to you know pension funds and other like community fundraising uh groups and support goals so and I I also think that uh, 
one of this is also goes back to another thing we said in the first episode, which was things about striking while there is an opportunity of leverage. Yes. And and I and I think that one of the things that I want to get across through this episode is to really encourage people to if you are at work, if you're like still being forced to be a like a martyr for capital, uh I think that this is a great time to strike. There are already people out there in the streets who will show solidarity with you. This is this is another great point of leverage that we have. Um, if you can find a way to, I, and maybe people have been organizing in this process and might find this as a great opportunity, but um, or at least like to find this as a way to talk to their coworkers about. Right these actions and and making sure that you have power in your workplace because politics is happening out in public like out in front of everyone's face like people who wanted to be apolitical before don't have that option yeah there's no looking at this and and saying like oh i like to stay out of politics still like i think this really drives home how deeply intertwined politics is with every element of our lives and how being apolitical is really just an act of ignorance and and privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we could get to kind of what we were planning on focusing on if if you're... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously, this is a pro-union show. It's more or less the whole premise of the show. But uh, we want to let you know, folks, there are bad unions. And we're not just talking about unions that eventually get corrupt, though that does happen, or unions where the leadership, you know, no longer reflects the actual will of the people they represent. That happens. But there's a type of union that's always bad. And that's a union for police officers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the main reasons why cop unions are bad is because strictly it is a conflict of interest for police to be able to do any sort of collective worker action when you are talking about other unions are they go out on strike how many times have unions been shut down by police or have uh been disrupted by the literal capital protecting like people the police yeah if if the union uh the unions the workers are out there doing their strikes that is actually hurting capital. The cap- the cops are actually specifically out there to protect capital. Yes. And that is a very strict conflict of interest. There's no reason why cop, cop unions should even exist. There's Yeah, it's, it's literally the foundation of the whole police, right? Protecting private property. And in the South, the legacy of the police comes from a legacy of slave catchers from when black people were considered property in this country. And then to think that there could ever be a, a, an organization of these officers that actually stand is standing up for like workers' rights, that's so absurd. The police have been turned on workers at every opportunity. And when they run out of cops, they hire Pinkertons and private security firms. So there's just such a long history of racism in policing. It's literally a a fundamentally racist institution. There's such a long history of, of cops acting as the guardians of private property, which places them politically directly counter to the working class who has their labor exploited. And then the audacity of the cops to look at 
labor organization and say, we actually need that. We're not a protected enough class. It's just so heinous. And then obviously they, they continue to press and press until they have more and more power. And then they just operate like, you know, an institutionalized and legal mafia, basically. Yeah. Well, and like there are some independent police unions where they have formed themselves separate from larger overarching unions, but there are actually unions within the AFL-CIO. Yeah. This is this is a, a, a big union with a lot of workers in it, and somehow they've allowed cops to be a part of their larger union. Yeah, which is just like, I really feel like if you are trying to represent labor, that undercuts everything. Everything you have to say about labor is undercut if you are affiliating yourself with police unions. And not only that, but they also are affiliated with the Border Patrol Union. Uh, and I don't know if that covers ICE or if that's just like customs and enforcement, but you know, people, the AFL CIO represents people whose job it is to illegally and obviously, you know, immorally detain immigrants often indefinitely in horrific conditions. And it's like, if if I'm a truck driver or if I'm a, a, any kind of service worker or anything, do I definitely don't want my union to be affiliated in any way whatsoever with the most aggressively racist and pro, you know, bourgeoisie elements in our society. Yeah. Um, I think that another really good point on that is that these the Border Patrol is actually an anti anti worker police force. Mm-hmm. At, like exclusively. They're there to stop workers from going from the, from mile negative one to mile one of of the United States. And what that means is that we are not respecting workers that are putting their lives on the line to come and do whatever jobs are needed to be done. And I think that it is our responsibility as workers to stand in solidarity with all migrant workers, immigrant workers. I, I find it to be disgusting that we have any sort of border control at all right personally well i mean isn't the whole rhetoric like it doesn't even follow the internal logic of the united states because the rhetoric of the united states is like this is the land of the free home of the brave anybody who comes here with enough gumption and elbow grease can make a name for themselves you know and then what do we do we criminalize everybody who tries to come in that's basically not from a predominantly white european cult like country and it's it's really it's sickening and it it just lays the the racism and the hypocrisy on its face and then on top of that to have this high order deep institutional protection built into the system by cops for cops for so 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 long and to see it rear its ugly head in this way where like even when like the cop who killed eric garner was able to appeal to to get back onto the force before too much uproar prevented him from doing so. Like it's, it's so insane to me that the system has been engineered by essentially people who just rose to the top of police unions and fraternal orders of police and all of these different, what's the one called the, the sergeant's benevolence something association. They literally threw benevolent 
in the title. So it's like, we're the good guys. Well, and I mean, that actually brings up a really good uh, point. If we are still talking about the AFL-CIO and their actual description of what their, the police union is designed to do, and I, I'd like to read this mission, um, and their, their mission is to improve the lives of law enforcement, to <laughs> promote legislation that protects uh, and affects public safety officers, Oh, and Jesus. represents the needs of law enforcement officers and support personnel. In in no no part of that is there anything about the safety of the people that the police are attacking. Yeah. They don't even go through go to the bother of putting in like weaselly language like our mission is to better equip you know, public safety officers to better support the communities that they, that they don't even no, fucking, they're not trying to support the community. They don't make the fucking effort. Like the, the protect and serve shit is out the window and most blatantly like right on its face. When you actually examine the organizations that exist specifically for the welfare and, and well-being of cops. And it's not even, it's not even their fucking health and safety. It, it's so that like if they shoot somebody, if they if they use lethal force, they can't be questioned about it for up to a month afterwards. You know, it, it it's these harebrained, like like bits and bobs of rules that are inserted specifically so that police officers are basically unimpeachable. Yeah, and I mean, not to say that like vigilante people aren't aren't you know given that same freedom to basically be protected by the the powers that be right um because there definitely are that you'll see people getting off for incredibly racist crimes and then anyone who's out there doing real like anti-racist pro-community work they're the ones who go to jail they're the ones who are criminalized they're the ones who lose their voting rights yeah well that's like you know, whatever you think about the kid who threw the brick at the cop car in Pittsburgh, like whether you buy that outside agitator narrative or you think he was a hero or you fall somewhere in between, like that kid eventually like turned himself in under pressure to the cops and is facing like a really lengthy list of charges and potentially a lot of jail time. Meanwhile, the, the guy with the Glock in his lap who ran over two protesters on his way onto the highway from downtown Pittsburgh that same day, cops aren't even fucking looking for him with any level of seriousness. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, I kind of would really like to push against this um, left narrative that like this higher ground narrative and that the idea that turning yourself into the police, the literal enemy yeah, is any sort of no, noble action? No, to to say to say that like you will then become some sort of political prisoner. Like that's you don't turn yourself in to become a political prisoner. Right. I don't think that that's a good move. Well, and just um, like I feel like the whole situation had been really politicized because you have people on the ground who were organizing the protest who obviously really didn't want that to happen, but it's also kind of like the police put that car there so that somebody would do that. Like it still amounts to police provocation essentially. And then on top of that, it's like once that car was on fire, the energy in the crowd got crazy and people actually started to do things that were going to stress the police system around here. And, you know, 
it, I, I get that you don't want to incite police violence, right? Like it's like, oh, if we, if we commit property violence, they'll do regular violence on us, bodily harm. But which I mean, that's not justified. Right. Let's let's say state that obviously, as a yes. First thing, but they shouldn't but be on. allowed to do that. But then on top of that, it's like, you know, you were just saying no justice, no peace, like all as one big group one minute ago, and now you want to give them peace. You know, yeah, peace before justice. Peace before now justice. I, yeah, which uh, to me doesn't add up. Um, but. You know, I I know everybody's got a whole strata of a, of opinions on this, but uh, at the end of the day, I think what we can all agree is that something, I mean, something really has to be done about these police. And and to be fair, I I would I would add riots work. They're working in Minneapolis right now. You know, they're the the city council just voted to disband the police. Or to com- and, commit to disbanding, whatever that means. Right. Who, who, who knows what that means? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that actually brings me to what I w- want to say about the demands. And that is that they need to be abolition. Not, not because that's what we're going to get, but because systematically through political, uh, through political systems, they will roll back what you get every step of the yep. way. This is exactly like a strike in that you strike while you've got leverage and you create the larger demands because no matter what happens, you're going to have to go to some sort of table, make a a discussion about what's going to happen, and they're going to take half of what you're asking. So when you say abolish the police, you're going to get defund. Yeah, you're like going to yeah. if you if you want to fund the police, say abolish. Yeah, that's it. You have to make the big ask and you have to be persistent in the big ask because the liber- neoliberalism and and modern capitalism are very very powerful machines and they will shave off bits and pieces of of your demands and they will find workarounds to circumvent the liberties that you are demanding from them so you have to be vigilant you have to keep the energy up as high as you can for as long as you can so that you have as much fucking leverage as possible and that's the right. thing and- like it, they it, what are they going to do disband the Minneapolis PD and then institute a public safety and wellness program that still involves badges and guns and handcuffs like if it's still a carceral system we're still opposed to it if it's putting people in jail i'm fucking opposed to it and it's certainly if it's letting some undertrained fucking like random dude from not even this community run around it with a gun and a badge like fucking issuing orders and telling people to get down on the ground then i'm a thousand times opposed to it yeah i it honestly it's it's hard for me it's hard to stay calm yeah because it's, it's it's like puts you over the edge very quickly when you talk when you talk about all of the horrible horrible things that these people it's their jobs to do yeah it's literally their jobs it is um and and yeah if you just create another police in a different name i mean just call them democrats i don't know like, <laughs> yeah well you, you've had enough of the republican police let us introduce certified all democrat police now with <laughs> now with now with minority quotas filled in in racial uh religious and gender and orientation categories well beyond what anybody would have thought possible in 2016 protecting small businesses and <laughs> <in> rural communities <laughs> oh my god but that's what we're going to get we're going to get like the shining smiling 
happy brigade. It's going to be like, mm-hmm. everybody's going to be like, our police are now like Canadian police. Meanwhile, Canadian police have like- They literally just a, like attacking natives yeah. like in their protests like just this year. They already literally have like such a horrible track record. But that's the thing is like America has very low aspirations. We We- we want to be like Canada. We want to be like Norway. Like if you ask for Vietnam or like revolutionary Russia, you will get Norway from the bourgeoisie. And the only way around that like total, total shaving off and circumventing of your big ask is to totally unseat them. And first you have to destabilize them with a lot of big asks before that's even possible. Right. And, and to say that that we need to, do some sort of PR thing where, you know, it's not going to go over with the population. I mean, we saw that people supported the burning of a police precinct. I I mean, mean, absolutely. It's more popular than either presidential candidate in the race right now by a good margin. If if it was a three-way race between them, burning down a police precinct would win the presidency hands down. I can't wait for that to be the next president. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like I, I was saying, you, there you your demands have to have to be strong and it there is no bad pr there to say that like and and you can even kind of uh i mean maybe i'm saying the quiet part out loud when i say they're going to roll it back to 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 defund and and that even though i don't want that i want a ball well that's the thing like genuinely do they, they might try to roll it back further than defund they might just roll it back to demilitarize like these are all good things to do, but they all lead up to one another. You know, they're they like have to, sequential. They have to donate their they have to donate their tanks back to the military so that they can send them over to the Middle East. Yeah, just just <laughs> police departments around the United States sending officers with a like a big double armful of riot gear and just dumping it in Toys for Tots boxes and Salvation Army donation bags. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! God. That's the. I mean, like that's only a little bit beyond what could actually happen in right. the United States. Like, yeah, it just it reminds me of like what I wanted to see when I was hearing all of the police kneeling, and I'm like, why aren't they burning their uniforms in the street? Yeah, like in like that's what that's what we want. Well, because they're not committed to it. They kneel with you, and then 45 seconds later, they're shooting a fucking beanbag at your head and telling you to get on the fucking ground, or they're throwing flash bangs at you and shooting you with rubber bullets and throwing tear gas canisters. There were instances of police basically luring in protesters and then, and then doing what they call riot control. Yeah. Um, Like, and which is literally another violation of the Geneva convention. I mean, which, I mean, I mean, if the police were held accountable for all of the times they've broken that one. I mean, it's like the U.S. is like fundamentally except from the Geneva Convention. It's like we we break it pretty much every fucking day in terms of imperialism. It's only just like once we start to do it to our own people, does it become beyond the pale and i know that that's not like a lot of americans fault like we're conditioned growing up in the society to just not really think about other societies or like be like they're so exotic i wonder what happens over there barack obama blows up hospitals over there is what happens or george bush you know sends the or this fucking cia sends operatives to go destabilize their democratically elected leadership over there you know and then we only care about it or anywhere in the global south yeah but then we only care about it once there's like tear gas and rubber bullets at our doorstep which is like i get it And even then 
Yeah, and even then, it's like a lot of people don't care. The 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 sit-in in Bakery Square in Pittsburgh, I was looking at photos of it on Twitter, and in the background of all the photos are like wealthy white yuppies sitting on the porches of restaurants, drinking their Starbucks in one hand and their wine in the other, just like, oh, I wonder what these people are protesting about today. Like, it's... It's it's good to see the children out there in the streets doing their little thing and then going home and staying quiet. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, and you just know like all of these self-satisfied like boomers and Gen Xers are like, "Huh, yeah, well, I guess the protesters don't care about COVID then." And it's like, "No, you you absolute fucking moron. There it's just that this once is- in a while issues are important enough that they trump our personal safety." Well, and even then, I mean, that that partially is. I think that one of the things that is a factor in this is the fact that there is huge unemployment. Yes. There is a pandemic on our hands, and there are people who are in danger not only from the police, but from the jobs that want to send them to die. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I barely have... I barely feel comfortable with the setup that my job has me doing right now. And there's literally no reason to be there because they're required according to their PPP grant to pay us for eight weeks of work. But they brought us back after two because my boss is literally such a fucking psychopath that he can't stand to see money that was just given to him by the government flow back out of his hands into the workers. Well, I mean, he's a boss. Yeah. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. He literally, I mean, if he sees the money in his account, that's, it's supposed to stay in his account. That's right. It's it's not, it's not for you. He's already, he's siphoned it off of you already. Yeah. Well, that's so that's, that's his now. Yeah. And just like as a quick aside, I've, I've been talking to a bunch of different people in my workplace about unionizing and every single person I talk to over the age of like 30 says the same thing back to me. Oh, they tried that shit. It ain't going nowhere. You ain't going to get nowhere with that. And so now I got to do some fucking research and dig up the previous unionization attempts at this place if I even want to have a fighting chance. Right. Because like what did – what? how did it go wrong? Like what were the actual demands? Were there enough people? Like what you're saying that the the company squashed it? Are you saying that like you're giving up because the company is going to squash it again? Yeah. Is that really a reason to give up? I I'd personally would say no. And I understand why the difficulty in going out there and doing the organizing and the stress that that puts on someone is immense. It really like, honestly, you're, you're doing meetings a lot. You're basically working uh, another part-time job on top of the job that you're trying to unionize in yep. order to do the union it can be a lot but also the the rewards are immense yeah it really is it's it's a lot of like not knowing exactly what you're gonna get and putting in a lot of effort just trying to ensure that you get something but those gains that you do end up securing are so important and improve people's lives that work for that company so immensely that you know if you really care it it becomes your responsibility to do it. And while we're on the subject of talking about not knowing things, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how opaque police union funding uh, is because apparently, and you brought... Even police advocacy funding. Yeah, yeah, police advocacy funding. Yeah, you brought this to my attention. It's a it's a, just a short little blurb on nonprofitlawblog.com. Bob Loblaw's lawblog.com. Uh, <laughs> and apparently, so this is from 2018. 
the Treasury Department announced a change in regulations making it no longer necessary for 501c4 and 501c6 organizations to disclose the identities of their donors on their annual information uh, returns to the IRS. So more specifically, tax-exempt organizations described by Section 501c, other than 501c3, which is your standard nonprofit, are no longer required to report the names and addresses of their contributors on the Schedule B of their forms 990 or 990EZ. So one of the organizations that fits under this is the National Association of Police Organizations. That's absolutely right. Which is basically the lobbying arm of any police organization, the, the Fraternal Order of Police or any other union. They're the ones who are there in the government lobbying for better conditions for police and you don't know who's funding them yeah and so their their reasoning for this is americans shouldn't be required to send the irs information it doesn't need to effectively enforce our tax laws which is just like i don't know how not knowing where all the revenue for a a a union comes from is not necessary for enforcing tax laws. It seems like it obviously must be, right? And even the, the, the like I was saying, the, the advocacy groups. It's like, it's one thing for, for unions and like, sure, they're getting, uh, they have all their members are paying dues and there are definitely some people who are maybe sending them money. I I personally don't really know of that i mean i guess it would make sense if people who really love police are trying to fund the fop but yeah they might be who knows i mean i think that this is a lot more to do with all of the uh the lobbying and advocacy groups that are and it's about funneling money and keeping everything incredibly opaque like you mentioned yeah because with if you can't actually figure out what groups of people are out here funding the police legislation i mean like this is I mean, it's like Alec in its own way, uh, in their kind of transparency. Yeah, it's the it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's it becomes totally opaque, and that's the thing here is like they're worried in this article about uh, wealthy donors now being able to insert as much dark money as they want into these police unions, which is like and 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 you know and and all of the auxiliary stuff that comes with that. So basically this is allowing like big business and and like state department officials and like just people who have a lot of power and money to move it around however they want and bolster the police as much as they well, want to and not have and to disclose tipping. it. Yeah. Imagine tipping the police. Oh my like God. saying, Hey, I'll give you a thousand dollars if you make sure to drive by my business. Oh yeah, I can't wait for like that. fucking NYPD to to put their cash app in their bio so small business owners can send them a hundred bucks to get a little bit of extra protection. Yeah, it's truly bizarre. And, uh, you know, this happened during Trump's presidency. So I have no doubt in my mind that there's an angle there as well, where it's like Trump, he understands how to do fascism a little bit, I think. And he knows that he needs to keep the police close at hand uh, there's no doubt in my innate. mind. I think it's a, I think it's innate in his brain. I don't know if he's like he he knows how to do it. It's yeah, more yeah. of like an intuitive thing. He he's just got the recipe for fascism, like programmed into him, and he unwittingly reproduces it at all times. Well, that's business. Yeah, I mean you you yeah that's you the art of the deal. About... I was only in that bunker for a minute. I did four deals in that bunker, and I came back up. Took five minutes. 
You want to talk about freedoms. Uh, Talk about your job and how you don't have the freedom to say what you want. You don't have the freedom to dress how you want. And then what there if you're at the whim of their saying, oh, you know what? How about your livelihood? You need to go grovel somewhere else for that now because you have made any sort of um, complaint about the work conditions. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the reasons why you need collective power. In order, I mean, they can't fire us all. I mean, it's, it sounds like a meme, but it's not. It's, it's the honest truth. Well, and that's like the ironic thing, I think, about police unions is like when, when that officer was uh, – was fired for Eric Garner's death, they threatened a work stoppage. And when the two officers in, in Buffalo recently were, uh, fired or something like that, they were, they were disciplined somehow for pushing that 75 year old man over, uh, like 50 some cops quit that task force. And it's like, I don't know who's going to clutch their pearls and go, Oh no, the police are quitting. Like, it's awesome. We all love it. Like, if if bus drivers did a work stoppage, everybody and would be mad. Like, and we would need it back and we would be pressuring the, the government to give them or the whoever their employer is to give them the shit they need. If the police just laid down their guns and badges and walked away, we would throw a fucking block party. Like, we would be so yeah. jazzed. No, and it definitely uh, shows because, I mean, those are our oppressors. Yeah, the, the cops are our oppressors. They are basically the bosses of the workers in a in a very real sense. They are the bosses that protect capital. They are the bosses that decide: do you or do you not con- like continue to live if you're a black and brown person in this country? Yeah, or are you going to continue to live outside of institutional slavery? Because that's essentially what the prison system in the United States is. I mean, it that that's exactly oh. what it is. It's straight up slavery. We barely even touch the carceral nature of this whole thing, yeah, where true. basically labor, prison labor uh, is used constantly for pennies. Yeah, I mean, people they're they're paid they're paid nothing. They're lo- like actual slaves, and and the police are there to catch them. I mean, you alluded to it earlier that that's the reason why the police were initially created, yeah. but they're literally they, they're the slave creators now. Yeah, well, it's like it's most evident in Louisiana today because they still have uh inmates serving as basically slave labor in their legislative halls and in their judicial halls and in the governor's mansion so the 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 governor and their spouse whenever they're in charge of louisiana you know they're almost they're always a white person i think i don't know if louisiana has had any black governors but they're they're waited on by predominantly black people who are being paid like a few cents an hour. And this is in the American South in 2020. And we're supposed to think that somehow we've overcome this country's legacy of slavery and racism. It's, it's just absolutely ludicrous on its fucking face. You can actually look at those photos and you're, you're like wondering how they colorized a a photo like that was supposed to be black and white. Uh, yeah. from from so long ago like they, it looks like it looks like that is a that is a photo from 100 200 years ago yeah absolutely absolutely it does and it's just yeah it, it's it's so revolting and i mean i think that's one of the really interesting things about these protests is it's not just raised the question of like do we need racial justice in this country but it's it's also posed the question 
is, are the police a fundamentally racist institution? And it's also provided the answer. Obviously, yes, they are. And so what do you do with a, with a, with a institution like that? Do you, do you uh, cut $150 million out of a $1.2 billion budget? <laughs> is that what you do? I mean, I'm going to defer to what we did with uh, the original form of slavery, and I'm going to say we need to abolish it, but then I'm going to take it a step further and say we also need to not leave a provision in the legislation that abolishes it that allows it to still exist in some other form. That's the part that I take serious issue with. Absolutely. The, the, the violence that is literally a part of that system, not only the prison system, which is riddled with horrible, horrible violence, but then the police system, which is violence before you become, before you get like the super prison violence yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I think that, if you want to end violence in this country, you start with prisons and cops. Yep. Well, and that's why it's just such a conflict of interest for the AFL-CIO to be uh, affiliated with any kind of cop unions or, or law enforcement unions more broadly. Uh, and like I was reading this article on public integrity about this, and I, I the part that I thought was interesting started with an editor's note. The author of this article is a member of the Washington Baltimore News Guild, which is affiliated with the Communication Workers of America, a member union of the AFL-CIO. So this is dissent from somebody who's actually in the union. And they were just talking about uh, how big labor is essentially siding with the cops. And this quote here is so amazing. It says like public integrity reached out to leaders of 10 major unions and labor groups. None were willing to talk about police unions. Trumka, the head of the AFL CIO was too busy to chat. President of United food and commercial workers union couldn't fit a call into his schedule. Teamsters president, James Hoffa declined to comment silence from the service employees, international union, the American Federation of state county and municipal employees, United auto workers, communication workers of America, Unite Here and the American Federation of Teachers. So they reached out to 10 big fucking name organizations and none of them were willing to say anything of substance on the topic of police violence because they all have their fucking hands tied by these police unions that they are affiliated with. And it's no wonder because police have such huge fucking budgets. Like 90% of most city budgets go straight to police. Do you want to increase trust in unions? Because I think that we do see in the rhetoric against unions this kind of lack of, of trust. of, And I think that this is a huge example. Yeah. And when you look at the fact that they won't talk about this systemic injustice that they are defending, mm-hmm. that just shows you that there are some very, very serious issues that need to be confronted within our unions, especially the AFL-CIO. Yeah. And if we're not confronting those issues, how are we supposed to, in in like good faith, like say that people should be joining these unions like i am i love unions i'm I'm a huge fan but when they are out here basically defending the police because that's what this is this is this is a defense of the police that it kind of it makes it difficult for me to to say reach out to the afl cio yeah i mean i wouldn't tell people to do that right now i would say no yeah no 
Well, and I mean, props to this publication, Public Integrity, for doing the journalism that they're doing. Because they also said that in December, they reported that the IUPA's charitable arm, which says it raises money for the, to help the families of police officers killed or injured in the line of duty, spends most of its money on telemarketing services. And it also claimed to be supported by several high-profile corporations, which in January, Public Integrity revealed to be untrue. So they're just lying. They're, they're a lying-ass cop union. And if we want people to feel like they can trust unions, we need to not have lying ass cop unions in the mix at all anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing for there to be a direct conflict of interest. That's, that's the, you know, the, the thing that like seals it for me. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually go even a smidge uh, deeper into this, you're going to see constant corruption. Yep. You're going to see constant defending of terrible, terrible people. And it's, I mean, is it the dues? Is it really like something? I don't know. I, I don't think that like they're, they're like, is their funding going to be cut so bad by cutting these unions out that they're terrified of losing that little bit of funding that they get? I, I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't believe it I genuinely it don't believe it either. I believe it's a, it's a game of political influence. You know, the cop unions have been so influential and for so long and have managed to snake their way into the broader world of labor, even though they consistently fail to show any solidarity with the rest of the world of labor, that they've, they've acted as a corrupting influence, you know, for too long. And, and they've, they've corrupted the heads of a lot of these larger organizations. And, you know, it's not hard to see why. I mean, if, if you're the head of one of these big union organizations, you probably live a pretty comfortable life you're a minor celebrity in the circles that you run in you know and like that kind of shit can go to your head and all it takes is like one or two real smarmy fucking cop union officials to slide in there and say a couple of things you want to hear and before you know it you're up to your ass in favors that you owe you know people who are out there to protect the people cops who kill and you know, force into slave labor, the rest of the country, especially black and brown people. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, it, uh, it sucks. The cop unions have way too much influence and, uh, it needs to be curbed and, you know, not even curbed. They just, they need to be kicked out. They shouldn't be allowed to be on the same labor platform that other labor unions exist on. They shouldn't have any sort of uh, of lack of transparency. They need to be fully disclosing all of their donors. They, all of these organizations, are literally public services and need to be like audited. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we can't fucking abolish the police, the the fucking least we could do is is know where all of the money is coming from to protect them but i get the feeling that if we knew all that we would want to abolish them even more so <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's it's really it's very serious i i it's hard to to understate how serious of an issue this is but I, I think that maybe we should wrap up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. we'll break away from the serious uh, for a second. We have a meme review. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, right. Um, and uh, so you you brought this one up yes. uh, to me, and it was a, a tweet that apparently aged really well. And uh, it was 
The right claimed anime fans. The left claimed furries. The future of politics will be decided by who gets K-pop fans first. Which I'm here to tell you folks, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, we actually have uh, BTS out here donating a million dollars to Black Lives Matter. We've got... Uh, uh, you love to see it. You love, you love to, to see, see these. Well, uh, and I, I was. We won. We won K-pop. We won we K-pop. We got a mo. And this tweet is from 2018, right? So there, there was no knowing where K-pop was going to go. And for my money, for my money, I would have bet against K-pop siding with the left. It's such a hyper commodified, commercialized, hyper capitalist mode of entertainment that I didn't really think it could happen. But maybe it was that very hyper capitalization of the mode of entertainment that made people who love it so hyper aware of what was happening, right? It's like in order to get K-pop, you have to understand all of the cultural factors that go into it. And if you understand all of the social, historical, economic, cultural factors that go into it, you're basically a historical materialist. Boom. You're a leftist. Done. Done and done. We did it, folks. <laughs> we did it. We're gonna have uh we're gonna have uh BTS uh playing at every single uh strike, every single union rally. That's right. Every every single uh protest well, from now on. And apparently people on Twitter <laughs> were talking about how like they have a history of donating to other important causes too. Like they've donated a lot of money to uh uh Yemen Yemeni resistance against um the the aggression of Saudi Arabia. And um, I saw Thanks. I saw something else they donated to that was also really good, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah, well, I think I think that we can sum it up with: you love to see it. You love to see these people out here supporting really good causes, fighting for uh, disenfranchised people everywhere. And I don't know, you can't like I you can't understate how great it is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like so often the news that I see is just like the most depressing thing I could have ever thought of just realized in front of me. And so when you see stuff like K-pop, you know, idols and, and K-pop stands coming together to, to support causes that are actually like really important to be supporting right now. Um, it just fills my, fills my heart with an unlikely joy, you know, something just what, what a pleasant surprise, what a lovely surprise that is. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that that is going to do it for us today. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Solidarity B, the B E E, all one word. Uh, and John, and I'm on Twitter at at Facebook Villain. And uh, yeah, I think that's the episode. Thank you for listening. Right. We don't do bonus content or anything yet, but uh, we might do it soon, depending on how things keep going. Let us know. Going. Yeah, let us know. We actually, we have something. We have something in the pocket for it. Yeah, we just you know. We got, yeah, we we got some surprises we'll for You'll you, see. folks. It, it's going to be some goofy shit. I know this is a serious show, but the bonus content might not be quite so i don't want to spoil it i don't want to spoil it but um before we go there there will be a link in the show notes but people have been putting together this really great document of uh, organizations that you can donate funds to that help uh you know black people who are being affected by police violence in this country directly and it has a an emphasis on lgbtq plus organizations uh and so uh just just take a look through it donate to one of the ones from your city or one of the the national groups or something um 
just, you know, do what, do whatever you can. I know we don't all have a extra money right now. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Peace out. Bye.